0: I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for ComScore with my Many Screens Big Picture Podcast, which has recently been relaunched. And I'm honored today to have a trio of guests, the Cardinal Trio. This is a company of individuals, a production company put together. They're passionate about creating inclusive and diverse original content to entertain and invigorate people with unique storytelling that pushes the boundaries of cinema. I love this. Welcome John C. Hall, Jason Parker, and Nick Sherma to the Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. Hello.
1: Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks,
0: Paul. It's great to have you here today. I really want to get right into this. Tell me about your company, John. I know you've been in the business for years, many years, despite the fact that you look so young. Uh, But (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. You really have quite a career. But I find it very interesting that though you've worked on many movies, generally you're in the executive arena. Now you're on the filmmaking side. Tell me a little bit about how this team came together. How did you transition from being on the business side of the business? To now getting into the creative side of the business,
2: very carefully. No, <laughs> no, that's a great question, and and I, thanks again for having us, Paul. It's been an amazing whirlwind since uh, since we launched in October first. Since we launched Cardinal Trio, it's been kind of a long time in the making for the three of us. And even longer than that for me personally, like you said, I've been in the business for almost three decades now. And thank you for calling out that I have a baby face. I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but I'll take it while I get it. I started almost three decades ago working in production, television production. And it was something that I loved, absolutely loved doing it gave me you know, a reason to wake up in the morning. It was my reason for living and breathing, and I absolutely adored working on it. We had a show, a comedy variety show, that was about to go on the Fox network, and that was right when the Fox network became a full network. And they fired the head of programming and brought in a new head of programming who wanted absolutely nothing to do with our show. So it was completely scrapped. I was a young lad. I had no backup plan. So I had to scramble to get a job. And I ended up landing at AMC, AMC Theatres, and worked there for a couple of years. Loved working in the exhibition side of the business, as so many people do in our industry. Started off tearing tickets and and doing marketing and, and managing and operations. And then ultimately landed a job at Universal Pictures, where I was for the next 25 years and worked on over 375 movies. Wow.
0: And John, what's your title with Cardinal Trio?
2: I'm a partner and a producer, as I believe all three of us are essentially the same.
0: And Chasen, I've met Chasen before, very fine actor, writer. I believe you've directed projects as well. Tell us a little bit about your background, Chasen, and how being a part of a production company, rather than being in front of the camera talent, now you're like all things. What does that feel like?
1: To be honest, it's a a dream come true. This is exactly the kind of position that an artist such as myself can only dream of being in. And I'm so proud to be partnered with both of these guys. I got my start in the industry as an actor when I was a sprightly young age of four on a show on NBC. Really? And so (laughs) I did my time doing that. And right as that show was coming to a close, my folks decided, you know, we don't want him growing up as a child actor. Let's get him out of here and, and try to get him the most normal childhood possible. And so they took me down to where my mom's family was in Houston, Texas, um, where I spent, you know, junior high, high school in the beginnings of college. Just had the most normal upbringing possible, just playing basketball and all the normal stuff that comes with growing up. So that took me out to Emerson College, ironically, in Boston, Massachusetts for film school and put myself through a whole gauntlet of their film school by basically challenging myself as much as I possibly could. I understood what those bigger studio-sized sets needed to feel like. And so I was putting together crews of you know 60-plus crew members and 20 to 25-plus cast members for every 20-page short film that I would do. And that was just to simulate being ready and able to thrive on those studio-level sets to be ready for that. And so that took me out to uh, Los Angeles in 2018. After having some of my short films showcased at festivals around the U.S. and over at the Cannes Film Festival, I really wanted to find a creative home in Los Angeles. And so I planted my feet in Playhouse West out here, which is a really, really great actor studio is a Meisner technique studio and, and really helped shape my perspective on that craft as well, which only helped my writing and, and my, my directing as well. Meanwhile, while I'm doing all that, I'm working on a project over that summer and also getting involved where you and I met Paul at Young Variety. And I got to know John C. Hall as well. And what was crazy about meeting John was that I had no clue that he worked at Universal, and that he had the position that he had. I just got to know him as John. We became friends first, which was so cool to me because a lot of artists, I think, have an idea of what an executive is really like and kind of what those gatekeepers are like and all of that. And so and so getting to know John as the person first really opened up that door, I found out maybe you know five months or so later, that he was an executive vice president at universal and i was just blown away i was like wow I, I that's that's amazing and so you know meanwhile simultaneously as i'm working on that project that i mentioned you know i meet nick Sherma, who a friend of mine pitched him to me as he's essentially your twin brother that does everything you don't and he does it perfectly well and i'm like man that's one hell of a pitch i gotta meet this guy that's a cool intro <laughs> yeah definitely and so you know he got him on the phone and within you know three seconds i immediately fell in love I saw the potential to essentially bring everybody together here. And so John approached me at the end of last year at the variety event at the end of the year. And he said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about getting into producing, do you have anything you want to produce? And that's a filmmaker's dream. I mean, to have, you know, the studio executive at universal, which is one of these studios, you know, to approach you and say, Hey, you know, you got something. And I've been practicing that pitch my whole life. So. I was ready. And I talked to him about this project that I had an idea for, and he loved it, was very fortunate we really connected on it. And, and you know because of that space where I was getting to know Nick, too, I saw the Nick's expertise in the physical production and, and John's expertise in the distribution studio world. And then my kind of creative background, all grounded in the idea that my mom taught me growing up, no one's going to hand you anything. You got to work your tail off and make it happen for yourself. And so I saw this as a conduit to put together this team to really make it happen for ourselves and to go out and make things that are worth making, worth being a part of and worth watching.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect segue to Nick Sherma, because Nick, it sounds like we've got all the bases covered here, this triumvirate of you three. And it (laughs) sounds to me like you are very much grounded in the physical production side of things. and. I know that you come from a a showbiz family, your father, Frank, well-known and highly regarded. Tell me a little bit about how you became involved in Cardinal Trio Pictures. I think this is really cool, the way you guys are kind of creating this story. And I want to hear more about this journey from your perspective, Nick. Yeah, totally. It's been an interesting one. And it was almost, you know, Chase and John and I
3: like to say it was almost like an act of fate that that brought us all together. Um, it, was, it was kind of this random occurrence. You know, I, I've been freelance in production my entire life, you know, as soon as I could. I've been on set since I was two with my dad, but pretty much as soon as I could physically work, he had me on set taking coffee orders and and paing and and kind of learning everything, you know, from the ground up eventually got to a point where I wanted to do more. I wanted to be more involved with the creative and a lot more of the kind of above the line stuff and really find projects that I can sink my teeth into. And so it took me all over it took me to New York and and Europe and I was in Poland for a little bit and and you know hopping around kind of Eastern Europe and and just trying to learn as much as I can and and work on as many projects as I can. Um, You know, I kind of came from the, the commercial music video world. And so always looking for an opportunity to be involved with something more creative. And so I was literally doing that after a year in Poland, back in L.A., had a different production company that I was doing things with. And trying to figure out you know what's my next move how do i take this to the next level and it's almost like the clouds parted and you know the light came shining down and chasen and i <laughs> yep. met each other and yeah like Jason said literally you know chatted on the phone got lunch and he introduced me to john right after that and i don't even think chasen told me exactly who John was either he kind of (laughs) just he was kind of just like you know here it's a buddy of mine and we've been working together and we have this project and so I remember a funny moment when we went to lunch and I had googled John at that point and figured out who he was and we're at lunch and I was like you know a little nervous trying to meet this big exec and I remember John comes up with like a pen and pad of paper and I was just like oh my god I was like I'm so unprepared I didn't bring a pen and paper the most basic of things and and you know lo and behold John is an incredibly nice and humble guy so it turns out you know I don't even think we talked shop that day I think we were just hanging out getting to know each other and you know it spiraled into what we have today
0: You know, I think that's really interesting because I'm a big music guy and I feel like the bands that work well together are actually friends. I recently watched a documentary about R.E.M. on Netflix about the song Losing My Religion and you get from the sense of that that those guys in that band are all really good friends first and then the creative manifestation of that just is so powerful. By the way, you can have a contentious relationship in a band and have great stuff happen too. But the feeling I'm getting from you guys that it's very harmonious right off the bat. And if you didn't click as people, would you be able to make something like this work? So is the resume more important in general for people who are listening or is it about the personality, the ability to work with people, the vibe, you know, the warm and fuzzy stuff, or is it like, you don't have the background and I'm not saying you guys don't, you all have a great background, but if somebody has a great resume, but not the personality, does that exclude someone? How does that factor in when you're forming a company?
2: It's funny that you bring that up, Paul, because you called us uh, just a couple of seconds ago, a triumvirate. And and I think we all kind of laughed at that because we kicked that around that we we joked about us being sort of this latin triumvirate and we each kind of have a particular area that we specialize in and i didn't know that you know like when chasen asked me to come to this lunch i'd never met nick before and i googled him too and like i i saw all this impressive production resume and, and actually you know having worked at the studio you know we refer to somebody like him as like a physical production guy And that is probably like, I know the development side, I know the production executives at the studio, but I never really connected with the physical production guys that much. And so like, it was probably the area I knew the least about. And so here Chazen and I are going to this lunch and Chazen, and, you know, kind of covers the creative of it all. And I have a marketing and distribution background, have done some production, but not really the physical side of it. And so we sit down, I was, I was nervous too, Nick. I was like, you know, here's this guy from New York and he, he's bi-coastal. He's got a place in LA and his, his dad's over at the TV Academy. And I was like, the first couple things he said, I was like a little suspicious. I was like, who is this guy? Like, who is this maverick? <laughs> but then very shortly after that, like, I think we all kind of got off that initial salvo of conversation. And then we kind of instantly clicked, I think, at that lunch and kind of saw the beginnings of this trio then. And it's funny that you equate us to a band because... I won't bring it up now. I'll get killed. I'll get murdered by both of these guys. But we had a different name before Cardinal Trio. It was a little bit more musical.
0: Maybe we'll put that in the bonus round today. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was It was nowhere near as good a name. And as the marketing guy, I, I surrender. Like, our, our Cardinal Trio name is way better than that name. But we are kind of like a band. And we all, like, just like a band plays a different instrument, We we all have a different specialty. You know, like, There's physical production, there's the creative side, there's marketing and distribution side, which is literally the three departments, kind of the three main departments at a studio.
0: Yeah, that's what I want to get into a little bit. Chasen, you know, like they say, you can't have a two-leg table, right? (laughs) Fall over, but you can have a three-leg table. Uh, And for you, I would think this is the best of all possible worlds, because generally speaking, and I have family members and friends who are in front of the camera, directors, writers, producers, and actors. And you're generally beholden to somebody else to make your dream come true. It seems to me that any actor or talent that has the ability to put together their own production company is really in a great position, at least theoretically, to get projects done that they believe in. Is that why this collaboration is working for you and why it was so intriguing and appealing for you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like I said, my my mom raised me on the ideals of, no matter what industry you go into no one is going to hand you anything because everybody wants to you know do the best they can and and be the best they can and so if you work hard at what you love you'll find people that inherently you know match up with that at some point in your life and i feel very fortunate and very lucky to have found them you know in in the earlier stage of my life here but i see this as something that is such a long lasting relationship and i think that's all balance on the idea of trust that is the most important thing in this industry that is specifically in what i do in the creative side of things vulnerability and creatives go hand in hand more than anything especially as an actor it's the most vulnerable job in the world you have to make yourself emotionally available to everybody around you in front of you know potentially 100 people that are on set and i've been training and ready for that aspect of my career but to trust these guys at the core is the most important thing to me about all of it, because if that's lacking, we're not gonna be able to get anything up off the ground. And both of these guys respectively have both proven to me on multiple accounts that I can trust them with my life. And that is the biggest blessing about this whole thing.
0: Nick, I wanna talk to you a little bit about the impact of the pandemic on physical production. What's it like to form a company during a pandemic? And further and specifically for you, Nick, how will you deal with the pandemic and the constraints that puts on your ability to actually create that communal environment of a movie set? Because it is communal generally. And what challenges does that present for you? Or is it an opportunity?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's almost a little bit of both. I think for us, starting a company in a pandemic was almost a, a little bit easier than any of us you know, anticipated. It was one of those things where you're looking at all these studios and and big companies that have a ton of overhead that are laying people off. And so they're struggling to survive because they are just so big and so established that there's certain things that just need to happen or certain costs that they have to incur. Whereas for us, it's us three and we're not paying ourselves anything at this point. So there's really no downside. We're out there and we're almost taking the position where we're this new company that has the ability to operate in these crazy times. In regards to shooting during the pandemic, that's something that I think it's being figured out and it's going to be continued to be figured out. Um, You know, I still do a lot of freelance work while we're getting this up. And it's literally been to just learn how to operate in COVID times. You know, the rules have changed. It changes budgets, but it's all something that is kind of almost company specific. Um, you know, there's not really any set regulations for how to operate during these times. So, you know, we've been doing our best to just kind of almost uh, accumulate as much information from different companies as we can so we can put together our, our own COVID protocols. I think the biggest hiccup is definitely that, it, you know, it's it's not cheap. It, it costs a significant amount of money to, you know, clean sets and have individually wrapped lunches, which you don't think would cost that much, but on a set of, you know, 80 plus people <laughs> right, where you originally just had a food truck and everyone go up, it's like, now you got to wrap everything. And, you know, you need hand sanitizer stations at every block and you have compliance officers who are taking temperatures at at every step. So There's a lot more work that goes into it, but really, it comes down to being organized. And end of the day, I know everybody wants to keep their crew safe. And that's kind of the number one priority. So, you know, overall, it's been challenging considering we started this before COVID even happened. So when that happened, we had to adjust budgets and kind of adjust shooting plans and locations. But As a company, it's actually been nice because we've had a ton of momentum. We've been able to operate because we have almost no overhead. So it's been interesting.
0: And John, you agree, I would think, with that, that being lean and mean is really a good thing in these challenging times. Creating a company during the pandemic, I mean, did you think... Is this possibly the worst time to do this, or is this actually the best time? Well, to we, do it? you know, we
2: save a lot of money by not paying Nick. So um, <laughs> I work for free. When this pandemic started, you know, we were already getting ready for meetings and so on, and, and and setting stuff up, and and the early stages of forming the production company. And so when the crud hit the fan, it was like, what are we going to do all day every day? And then that quickly became what are we going to do all day, every day? Like there was so much time on our hands. We started reaching out to people and, you know, like Nick said, there was almost like an extra availability on the studio side and on the production side and on the agency side, because everybody was working from home. You know, there was this tremendous pressure out there because of furloughs and layoffs and this, that, and the other. So, to me, it was surprisingly easy to get a hold of people during the pandemic. And it was even easier to set up like conference calls. And now sort of the dawn of Zoom, if you will. Like we've been on so many Zoom calls, I can't even remember them all. It's almost like being in person, you know, not quite as good, but you can still pitch and you can still talk with your hands and <laughs> and you can still tell jokes and see people laugh. And so there's that human element to it. But I found, and you know, Chazen, jump in, but like I found everybody was kind of a little bit more available at the outbreak of the pandemic. And we were able to get meetings that I don't know that we would have gotten if it was business as usual status quo.
1: Yeah. And I'll say to the starting the company in the pandemic, no matter what you do, there's going to be an obstacle, right? No matter what problem we have on any set for the rest of our lives, we can always look back and go, well, at least it wasn't the pandemic of 2020. This is a very insignificant problem. Like we would help, we'll have nothing to complain about. And to me, that's the blessing in disguise to some extent that you can look back and go, you know, if we were able to to make it happen through all this, we can do anything.
0: I think that's a great attitude to have because if you let these obstacles stop you or prevent you from moving forward, you're never going to get anywhere. And I think obviously it's very daunting to start any kind of company, but I think you're uniquely positioned to do well because I wanted to segue from that into big screen versus small screen. <laughs> so we all know this is a big deal right now. And actually we're seeing in our ComScore data that not only are drive-ins, they've been doing great throughout the summer, but also there may be an opportunity for smaller films to get theatrical release. And we've even seen recently some smaller movies that might not otherwise get a lot of attention that are getting that because they're not trying to compete in the space with the big blockbusters that really need that big global release and virtually every available theater. How does that work, you think, in terms of what you guys want to do? I'll ask Nick, like, what kind of release are you looking for for these projects? And we're going to talk about your projects that are in development in a few minutes, but tell me a little bit about that. Have you had a philosophical discussion about that?
3: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, for all three of us, it's like, we love the movie theater. That's always been the end goal. And that's kind of been the ultimate goal is to produce movies and, and have it in theaters. Everybody wants to go and, and sit down and, and see your name in the big screen and, you know, everything you've worked hard for, but, you know, like you mentioned, there's also this aspect of like reality and, and what's happening right now and how do you combat that? So. For us, I think it's part being optimistic and part hoping, you know, that the world gets better and that theaters will happen. You know, realistically, from the time you create a movie and have a script and get it all the way through post production, it, it's typically at least a, a year or two, if you know, if not more. So that we do kind of have that little bit of buffer time to see where it lands us. I don't really think that we've been catering any of our pitches or projects specifically for streaming or or for theaters. For us, it's like, we are unique and have the unique ability, you know, thanks to John and thanks to kind of the different connections that we have, to be able to get out there and talk to everybody. We're not limited to only talking to streamers. We're not limited to only talking to investors or studios. We kind of have this unique ability to get to everybody. And so for us, I think, you know, to sum it up, if we can have it in theaters, we'll have it in theaters. If it gets to a point where things have to change and things have to adjust, we're lucky enough to have that flexibility to kind of, okay, let's go talk to these guys or let's go talk to, you know, this different company. But I think, you know, in our hearts, it's like, we want a movie in the
0: theaters. Well, I want to get the other guys in on that. What are your feelings, uh, John, about that?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything that Nick's saying is absolutely true. And and early on when we were pitching production companies, COVID had just sort of erupted onto the scene and everyone was asking us, you know, we we would pitch our properties and everyone would say, well, have you thought about streaming? Have you thought about streaming? Have you thought about streaming? And collectively and honestly kind of led by Chazen, we all collectively were like, you know, Obviously we'll consider it, but we are a theatrical trio. Like we want to see things on the big screen. We want to be in that dark movie theater with those great seats and great sound and, you know, have a big barrel of popcorn. And in my case, a diet Coke, I swear they're not paying me. Um, (laughs) And it's like, that's what we wanted. And you know, when we, when we, when the announcement went out on October 1st, a lot of exhibitors, you know, because of my background chimed in on it. And I personally responded to every single one of them, you know, some of them were heads of circuits. And I responded to every single one of them and said, we're making movies for the cinemas. You know, I use cinema because it's a global business, but like we're making movies for the movie theater. You know,
0: I really like that because I'm the same way, I, you know, going to the movie theater is baked into my DNA, though I haven't been to one since The Invisible Man back in late February. And it's yeah. really a bummer. And in Los Angeles and a lot of different cities around the country, you literally can't go to the theaters. It's only about as of now, about 50 percent of theaters open. But Chazen, I want to. Talk to you about that. I mean, you're in front of the camera. I'm sure you've seen yourself on the big screen, the small screen. By the way, I think we can all agree there's fantastic small screen content, incredible stuff. It's not about one is better. Well, I think the big screen is awesome, but it's not really (laughs) that one is better than the other. It's that both have their place. Chase, how do you feel about that? Do you just want to, as a filmmaker, you just want your movie to be seen or do you want it to be seen in a certain way? Meaning on the big screen.
1: It's a loaded question to me because I grew up in the movie theaters. I grew up in cinema, and that is what I love with every ounce of my being. Right now, we're in the like what Nick was saying, you know, this strange time, and like you had mentioned, you know, you haven't been to the theater since The Invisible Man, and that's about the last time that I went to the theater as well. Um, And I very much so miss it. And so, from an artist's perspective, if I'm able to contribute to even just one percent. Of a reason for people to go back to the movie theaters I can die happy because there is nothing in the world like sitting down with people that you don't know and feeling safe about it obviously but to sitting down in in a room full of people you don't know and sharing a ride together and whether it's a comedy a drama uh, anything just anything I vividly remember, you know, sitting in the theater and watching movies like Django Unchained and, you know, going further back, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and all of those films that just having that communal experience is unlike anything else and watching it at home, like you said, it definitely has its place. I have a bookshelf over there of probably 200 plus DVDs. And I'm still one of those weirdos that loves collecting DVDs for all of the DVD (laughs) special feature extra stuff, you know? Yeah. And everything that's on my shelf, I've rewatched multiple times and there's definitely value there. But for that first experience to be on that giant screen with, you know, your friends, your family, people you don't know, there's just nothing like it. And I think that there's a world where both go hand in hand. And I think that, you know, the second we're able to get back to the movie theaters, there's going to be an overflow of people wanting to go see things.
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be a a, a real pent up demand. But like you said, people have to be health conscious. They have to feel safe and secure. And thus far, the movie theaters, I haven't heard one negative anecdote by anyone around the world of going to a movie theater and feeling either unsafe or unhealthy. So I think the movie theaters are doing a great job and that's great for you guys because you want to be in theater at some point and everyone's in this together. It's a collaborative effort, but this is again, a perfect way to transition into talking about the projects that you have in development. I want to talk about those projects, the untitled Enron project written and directed by Chasen Parker. Give us a brief uh, overview of that film. I know you have a couple other projects on the development slate for Cardinal Trio Pictures. So I'll let you take this one, Chazen.
1: This project is one that's um, very near and dear to me. Um, My grandfather was affected by Enron when uh, the tragedy happened way, way back in the day. And it's, sort of that revisionist history of the what should have happened version of Enron where a disgruntled employee at the company starts to put the pieces together as to what the executives were up to before any of it would have surfaced to the public. And he decides to blackmail them. And when they laugh in his face, because they're the most powerful company in the world, he decides to sprint out of the building with a plot of revenge. And I think it's something that is going to be something very special. um, And regardless, something that I'm going to love working on.
2: I was actually in Texas uh, working for Universal, but, you know, I listened to your Chris Aronson podcast and there used to be branch offices. I was actually working in a branch office when all of the Enron stuff went down and I was in Texas and I remembered I was a young guy, so I barely had a 401k. And I remembered hearing about just the disastrous financial repercussion for thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. And I remember even then in my twenties being like, Oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like people lost everything they worked their entire lives for and saved for. And it really kind of woke me up. And when Chazen first pitched this project to me, I was like, I'm in. Like I'm definitely in on this one. Like, you know, I I wanna I wanna stick it to these guys in the best revisionist history way possible. Token Gruzman, like that's probably our least developed property. And uh, I'll throw it to Nick for killer. But Token Groovesman is the script that I actually came up with the story and wrote an early draft and have a co-writer on that one, Andrew Mortizavi. And he's actually working on the later draft right now. And it is coming. It's going to be hilarious. Like it's about this aging, you know, late 20s guy who is really down on his luck and gets invited to this wedding that he barely can remember this guy from his college fraternity. And so, you know, on a whim, his girlfriend convinces him to go and he shows up and he very quickly finds out that, like, he is not supposed to be here. Like, he is a stand-in groomsman. He's, like, you know, at the back of the line for everything. You know, he's at the kid's table during the reception. And it's like he finds out pretty quickly that there is a whole series of misadventures that he's involved in. And it should be really hilarious.
0: I feel like these are the kind of movies that everyone loved And then they started not liking them because, not because the genre isn't great, they were seemingly made just to fill a specific purpose. This sounds like, I mean, I'm waiting for the movie to revive this genre, and I'm sure there's romantic elements to this as well. And people don't like to even use the word rom-com anymore, because that went from being a darling of the genres to (laughs) being the Rodney Dangerfield genres, (laughs) which just can't get no respect. So... Is that something purposefully that you wanted to do is help that genre by creating something smart and funny that could maybe bring that back and and make rom-com not a dirty word anymore? Absolutely. It was
2: a conscious decision when I was writing it that I had my best friend's wedding and all these big, huge, very, you know, bridesmaids, you know, all of the big monumental rom-coms were kind of what I was thinking of when I was writing it. But what I was thinking is, What if this was told from the perspective of a lesser known character? You know, like, what if it wasn't the bridesmaid? What if it wasn't the bride or the groom or the best friend? You know, what if it was this guy like Joe Schmoe, who wasn't even supposed to be at this wedding? Like, what's his take on getting invited to this wedding? And that's where, you know, the series of misadventures takes place.
0: Well, no pressure, but I'm counting on you to revive this genre. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Cardinal trio. That's up to you guys now. Nick killer. Let's talk about that. I think these are all very diverse in terms of genre and point of view, which you've kind of covered all the bases here with these three projects.
3: Yeah, totally. That's what's kind of been unique and nice about all the projects we're doing is that we do just have this large, diverse slate. And it helps us almost dive into them easier. And and it makes it more fun because it's just we're able to just try different things and and develop different projects they're not all the same but killer is an awesome thriller noir type of film that takes place down in Colombia Um, We've partnered with these two really awesome creatives on it. It's written by T. Zhang, who's out of the Disney Writers Program, and directed by Michelle Cotolo, who's a young up-and-coming director. Both really awesome people that, you know, we've all worked together closely on kind of developing this and pitching it. But um, it follows a detective and her... You could say partner as as who has a shared kind of dark past as they track down a serial kidnapper into Colombia, and it's and it's a unique story that has all these kind of twists and turns, and and one of the darkest you know just dis- most disgusting kind of people you could imagine as the as the antagonist, and you know as they get there things kind of happen and they realize that the hunters become the hunted and you know, their true enemy kind of lies within. And there's a really awesome twist at the end that that I think pe- will leave people, you know, on the edge of their seats.
0: Okay, I'm in. I, I want to buy a ticket right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's my kind of movie. I just want you guys to promise me something. When you go comedy, go all in, right? But when you go killer movie, go all in too. I look back at some of the movies from the 70s and, you know, those R-rated action movies. and I just feel like some of that's been lost. How do you feel about how you're going to attack each genre? And are you going to go all in on what that genre is? Or are you going to play it safe? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear from.
1: I definitely do not want to play it safe. I think that... John's you know, like, uh-oh.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I think the, the cool thing about what we have, Token Groomsman being the comedy, Killer being that, that thriller, like classic neo-noir, and then the Untitled Enron Project is a hybrid piece. You know, and, and, and to us, I think that is the perfect representation of the kind of work we want to be doing for the rest of our lives that I, I think human beings were so stretchy. We We aren't just one thing. And I think no matter whatever said project will be, we're not going to pull any punches on them. Like, you know, the script for Killer is incredible. Um, you know, T is an incredible writer, Michelle is is the perfect director to be helming this thing. You know, I'm very proud of the script that I wrote for our untitled Enron Project. And, you know, I, I definitely have a very specific, clear-cut vision for it. And then with Token Gruzman, as as we continue to develop it, we've pretty much taken on the position that whether someone has a vast resume or not, if they have a strong drive for it and the education and, and the strong driven intelligence for it. They're qualified and so that to me is what will kind of burst that mold and and allow us to not pull punches on all projects that we do whether it's you know not taking a you know softer spot on the comedy or not pulling punches in the thriller genre which happens a lot of the time i'm, I'm telling you the script for killer too is it does not pull punches and and my script for the entire interrupt project doesn't pull punches and you know i think that's going to allow us to really attack our mission statement, which is to push the boundaries of cinema.
0: So guys, we're wrapping up here. Where can we find you on social and also your website for Cardinal Trio Pictures?
3: Yeah, we have our website, cardinaltriopictures.com that, that kind of has all of our contact information. You know, we're at this stage where it's like we're new and, and we're trying to find as much diverse content and partner with as many awesome creatives as we can. You know, that being said, there's only three of us, so we can only read so many scripts in a day. But, you know, for us, it, it's really about expanding our network and, and meeting people. So we're always happy to hear from somebody, to read a script and, and see what's happening and, you know, develop relationships from there. So, so please check us
0: out on our website. Yeah, John, I'd like to hear from you on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I would be remiss if
2: I didn't tap into my old marketing background. We're, we're also on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on Instagram. So please, you know, go out there and follow us and check us out. Uh, we did a pretty cool photo shoot uh, a couple of weeks ago where we have literally hundreds of photos, uh, we're, we're releasing those and, and we're updating on our social feeds and our and on our website, like Nick said, kind of on a weekly basis, there's something new uh, to check out. And we have a lot of projects, you know, lined up right now besides the three that we mentioned and we're always, you know, open to more, but we're, we are a small team right now. It's a small group of us and we're just trying to get off the ground and, and this has been an amazing, amazing time, Paul. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: And Chazen, I know you have a rather large following on social, Um, Nick, obviously you're well connected in the business and John, everybody knows who you are. I just want to thank you guys for being here today on many screens, big picture, Cardinal Trio Pictures, John C. Hall, Chazen Parker, Nick Sherma. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing your many, many movies that are going to be released in the future. Thanks again.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Definitely. Thank you, Paul.